The royalty of college football is in assembly. What can you say? They, they were fired up. They played like they were on, you know, cocaine sandwiches the whole game. Two sides. You never go against at home. The Russian Army and Notre Dame. 50. Welcome back to Shooting the Breeze. I am your host, Mike Calabrese. We have a special edition on deck. Our co-hosts were indisposed. Uh, A little bit of uh, work, a little bit of family emergencies. Not going to get into the particulars, but the podcast, the show, it must go on, as you know. So I'm going to jump into it with uh, one of our loyal listeners who's been champing at the bit to get involved with the podcast over the years. And I'm sure he's going to be able to speak from the listener perspective uh, so we're going to get in that a little bit later with our featured co-host, Kevin Umile. But first, I'd like to, uh, ah, there's no, no better way to say this. I'd like to air some grievances real quick. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. And in particular, I want to talk about the Memphis SMU game, because if you were listening last week, I ended up going 1-1 and the dreaded push for that last one. I should have gone 2-1. And uh, shout out to our friends over at the Action Network. They have uh, a beautiful, slick app interface that allows you to see your probability of covering not only the spread, but the money line, the uh, over-under throughout the game, basically play-by-play you can see how it's uh, you know breaking in terms of like almost a stock ticker. And with Memphis up 22 points, laying six, about halfway through the fourth quarter, I was at 98.8% win expectancy. Um, and listen, you know, in, in that spot, you have to figure without a freak touchdown, you know, a weird special teams or defensive touchdown, I'm in the driver's seat. Fast forward to the last three minutes, SM, SMU is trailing by 14, still in a great position. They end up scoring on just a really nice play where they they ran a, a James Proch in motion out of the backfield, and then he ended up doubling back, and the defender just kind of got lost uh, with him going into the backfield. So once again, just a great play, great uh, play design by Sonny Dykes. Just really liked what they did there. And then down eight, for no reason in particular, they decided to go for two. And when I say no reason in particular, this is not just from a degenerate's perspective. I'm going to go ahead and play the game audio here because Kurt Herbstreit was a little bit confused as well. I, I can't imagine what's going on here. Michelle rolling, going to throw it back, and they're going to get an easy two-pointer. They throw it to the big fella. Jalen Thomas is a tackle. They had a play in mind that they felt good about, and the big fella gets to point. Life for the American Conference. I hope you're enjoying it tonight. We've what, what's, what's the big fella? <laughs> just, just waits for him to get behind, so it's a lateral behind the quarterback. and He's kicking it through the uprights. So maybe yeah. that's a new strategy. Just we're gonna go for two every time. Yeah, Fowler, Herbstick, just laugh it up, assholes. Just, yeah, let's just go for two all the time. Just ruin a bunch of tickets out there. I know some people were able to get Memphis minus five and a half. I was not one of those individuals. It's been one of those false, one of those false seasons for me. All right, Kevin, I'm going to kick it to you here. What was your take on the end of that SMU game? Because really all it was coming down to wasn't the, the, you know, the outcome of the game was just the margin. But what was it like to watch it as a gambler? So, Mike, I have to say, I absolutely love it. I mean, I'm one of those fans who I just appreciate chaos in any given shape or form. And as I was watching that, I thought to myself as they scored the touchdown, wouldn't it be hilarious if they tried to go for two? 
And when the kicking unit did not come out on the field, I was just on my couch laughing. I don't know if it was because of the number of drinks I was having that night, but at the same time, I just, I couldn't believe they went ahead and did it. And then it worked out for them. So I, you know, I go ahead. I, I, don't, I don't know, Kev. I'm just going to jump in here. Isn't there just a little bit, decorum is just a super pretentious word and does, certainly does not uh, have any bearing whatsoever on AAC football, but I'll put it to you this way, house rules style. If you were playing, you know, your, your bear-like older brother, Brian Umile, back in your childhood at home, you're playing NCAA football and you go for two or a weird onside kick or, you know, you're trying to run some plays out of a punt formation. Isn't there just like a house rules, certain element to it? Like, why the fuck did they go for two? Like, I still can't understand it. I think that's what Herbstrick was getting to in the moment. He's like, I just don't understand what's going on. Yeah, you're absolutely right there with the house rules. I mean, you only pull that move if you know you don't want to talk to him for the next week. Right. Because <laughs> it's downright disrespectful. Uh, and I have done that in the past, so I like how you referenced that. Uh, but at the same time, there there was one aspect that I think they may have mentioned it at one point in time. I believe up on this, uh, given the season, I think they have up to seven missed extra points, which I know is a little bit of a stretch to say, okay, we're more confident to get the two-point conversion. But at the same time, I believe that was their third consecutive one, and it looked like Memphis could not stop them for any five-yard play that they were going to run so at the end of the day hindsight's 2020 it worked out for them it's hard to question them uh, after after it worked i was curious though to see if they scored the next touchdown would they have kicked the extra point for the win or gone for two one more time making it four in a row yeah, you know, I actually did not know about their uh, extra point struggles throughout the season. So I, I guess I have a little bit more empathy for them in, in that decision. And that actually brings up a really interesting point, which is, would you prefer to leave it in the hand of a kicker who, you know, clearly would feel no confidence whatsoever in the coaching staff, basically saying we would rather not trot you out there and go with like a 40% play. And then in the most critical moment of the game to win it, would they put him back out there? I, I don't know. I, I guess based on just how crappy Memphis's defense was, you know, in those two-point situations that they probably would have gone for it. All right, quick thought yeah. here. As, as as we tee up the, the huge games of the weekend, we're going to discuss everything on the slate that college football fans care about. And obviously that leads to the first game, just number one in, in bright lights on the marquee. And that's Wake Forest traveling to Virginia Tech. Now, the real reason I want to talk about this game is because I'm still so goddamn pissed at Memphis. And who was the last Memphis head coach before Norvell? Justin Fuente. He's now at Virginia Tech. This guy, I think, I, I, I never want to talk about another man's job, but he is headed for hot seat territory. He had an opportunity last week against Notre Dame to get finally a marquee win on this season. And now it looks like he's on track to have a lower overall win total for the third consecutive year and to finish uh, worse than he did the year prior for the third straight year in the Coastal after winning it in uh, in year one. So I, I really feel like Virginia Tech, the the luster, the home field advantage of Blacksburg and Lane Stadium, it's all out the window. I don't know what to expect with this team, particularly on defense. On the other side, love the claw fence. We've been big fans here on the podcast for years. I love what Jamie Newman is doing now that he's back healthy after uh, suffering what seemed to be either a separated shoulder or a shoulder contusion about three weeks ago. He came back last week. He absolutely had a monster game. I think Wake Forest is, you know, kind of not a sleeping giant, but certainly a sleeping contender to give Clemson some problems in a few weeks. And one last point before I kick it over to you to get your gauge on this game, Kev, is 
if anyone is looking for just like a five to 10 minute diversion at work and you kind of want to just, you know, play with something online that, uh, you know, is work appropriate, the folks over at 538.com, Nate Silver's blog, they actually have win expectancies for all different sports, but they have this chart that you can play with for the college football playoff. And what's interesting is you can hit a button that says win out. And then it'll give their chances of winning the conference. It'll give their chances of winning the uh, the national championship. And also at a lower level gets into just the chances to make the playoff. And what's interesting, if you go ahead and jam down on that button for Wake Forest to win out, which would you know infer a win over Clemson, at least one, um, and then an ACC title, they are in the 80s for the chance to make the college football playoff, which you know in a year where it seems so chalky with Ohio State and Bama there at the top and Clemson number five in the country, the idea of Wake Forest crashing the party and at this point getting, you know, sub, you know, less than zero publicity for a team that only has one loss. What's your take on the Demon Deacons here, Kev? Yeah, Mike, so I, I would agree with you on a lot of points you made there. The I've, I've watched a handful of their games and I, I've been impressed for the most part. I mean, the one game that they lost, I believe their star quarterback got hurt uh, midway through that game and they had to finish with the backup, which is always difficult. It was also one of those weird games that just became a shootout where I believe it was some low 60s, the high 50s number where at the end of the day, anything can happen as it's coming down uh, the final minutes of that game. It, when I see seasons like this where I know how weak the ACC is, I start to look at what the Big 12 has done and wish more conferences would do that, right? Because I'm already – all in on seeing this Wake Clemson matchup. And I have a feeling after we see the first one, we're going to want to see a rematch. And I'd rather it be the best two teams in the ACC versus the two divisional matchups for the ACC championship later on this year. Uh, I mean, time will tell to see uh, if, if the first matchup is anything that uh, to write home about. I'm banking that it is. I think they're going to crush Virginia Tech this weekend. The fact that the uh, line is, what what is it, minus two? Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm all over that. Definitely on the same page there. I think this is easy, especially with uh, uh, Newman coming back, as you mentioned, right? If, if he's just operating at 70% of what he was doing earlier, th- this should be an easy one for them. Virginia Tech hasn't impressed me at all this year. Yeah, just to, to put a quick bow on your thoughts there about uh, you know, conference alignment as it relates to East versus West, or in the case of you know the, the ACC, you got the Atlantic and the Coastal. Um, so many people were talking about the expansion of the college football playoff and like, you know, everything on Twitter is, is all buzz with people putting out fancy 16 team playoff hypotheticals. You know what I'd love to see them fix, fix conference play, particularly in the conferences that are 14 teams where you can have, this is a situation. I believe that Wake Forest hasn't played at Virginia tech in like eight years. That's not a conference. Like the idea that you could go two entire classes and not play at a quote-unquote conference rivals home stadium. It, it's stupid. And, you know, um, Bill Connolly, formerly of SB Nation, now of ESPN, has basically laid out in a very simple way. It's called a pod system where you have two to three locked-in games. So you don't break up necessarily the long-standing rivalries. You know, if you're in Alabama, you still get to play Auburn. You still get to play Tennessee. Maybe throw in one other team that you're locked to. But the rest of it's all a rotating schedule. You throw away the uh, conference alignment, east and west and north and south, and however uh, conferences want to do it, and then you just go to the top two teams. So hopefully in the future they can fix that. I think the cultural playoff sucks up all the oxygen in the room. And, yes, there's ways to tweak it. I'm not in favor of expanding it. I'd much rather see 
the mental energy being spent on making conference play in the regular season as good as it can be. All right, we're going to jump into the actual two games that everyone wants to talk about, which is Minnesota-Penn State, an 8-0 battle uh, there in Minneapolis, as well as LSU-Alabama, which is uh, a one-and-two matchup if you were uh, referring to the AP poll. So which of those two games would you like to talk about first, Kev? Let's do the uh, Minnesota game. All right. So, you know, if you're the athletic director in Minnesota after hiring P.J. Fleck, this was your dream scenario. You close your eyes. You think to yourself, we're going to be playing in meaningful games in November. We're going to have a chance to win the Big Ten West. It would, be, it would mean so much to the alumni, the school, everybody in the state of Minnesota if they just got to the Big Ten championship game. So this already is exceeding it. They actually have a direct path to the college football playoff. They're hosting, if it wasn't for the Bama game, just the biggest game in the country. You know, P.J. Fleck now looks like a prophet. He's spoken into reality. And Minnesota, hey, listen, very early in the season, I think first impressions sometimes can stick on you for better or worse. They played a very tight game against South Dakota State, and everyone said to them, well, you know, this guy's a snake oil salesman. The offense um, is kind of exciting, but the defense took a step back. So this will just be another 7-8 win Minnesota team. When you fast forward and look at, I believe it was two weeks ago, a college game day was uh, there in South Dakota for the North Dakota State-South Dakota State game. That's an FCS team that is in the running for the national championship, that Jackrabbits team. And the reason I bring that up is when you look at Sagarin ratings, that means they're about in the 50s and 60s when mixed in with the FBS teams. So they're like a borderline bowl team. They beat a borderline bowl team by seven points at home. That's not the worst thing in the world. But because of the FCS classification, people were quick to write off Minnesota. Here's what I know about the, their team. Their offense is is balanced. Tanner Morgan is incredibly efficient as a quarterback. Doesn't throw that many times, you know, maybe mid-20s in terms of attempts. But he's had games where he's eclipsed 90% completion percentage. And when you look at his overall play as the competition, competition has slowly ramped up over the season, I think it's a product of having two borderline NFL wide receivers. They also have a stable of running backs. They have a, a cool wildcat package where they bring in Seth Green, uh, their starting tight end, who is um, – is actually a former quarterback himself. He's like 6'5", 260. So it's kind of, you know, a throwback to the Oklahoma days of the bell dozer. And they, they had, you know, they have some interesting things going on in offense. And defensively, they're not as stout as they were last year. But I think you're going to see a really inspired effort from them. And this is the 20th anniversary of Minnesota knocking off 99 Penn State when they were number one in the country, ending, uh, for all intents and purposes, their national championship hopes. And it totally derailed that entire season for the Nittany Lions. So there's a lot of nostalgia. There's a lot of energy for the first time in forever around this Minnesota Golden Gopher program. And I think because of that, the play probably here in this case, it's a six and a half point spread. Go ahead and take Minnesota plus three in the first half. But I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to double down. I'm going to take him plus, it looks like 240 on the money line. I'm going to go with the Golden Gophers. I've been rowing the boat with P.J. Fleck for a long time. Kevin, what do you think about this game? Do you think Penn State uh, is going to be able to be consistent enough on offense to really match their elite defense? Yes, and that's the one question mark that I have is that that, that Penn State offense, right? We, we've seen them hot at times, uh, look like they're dominant, right? I, I, the it was the game last week or two weeks ago. They jump out and I think they scored in the first three possessions, but then they went cold the rest of the game and only scored uh, one touchdown uh, for, for the remaining three quarters, uh, but. I just want to reemphasize some of the points you made about Minnesota, right? I I really think this is going to come down to the Minnesota's offense because Penn State's got a decent defense. 
the points you made around the Minnesota wide receivers, the quarterback isn't doing too much, right? He's just managing the game, using the talent that he has around him. And the fact that they have those uh, balanced running attack where they keep their running backs fresh, I, I think all they need to do is make sure to avoid the self-inflicted mistakes, the drops, the three outs. If they can keep their uh, their drives at eight to nine plays and avoid the you know four or five quick either turnover or uh, quick punt and keep that Penn State defense on the field, I agree with you. I think Minnesota's got a great chance at winning this uh, game outright. I'm not as confident because of that Penn State offense can get hot. Uh, so I wouldn't go as far as to take them the money line, but I would take the points, the six and a half uh, Minnesota this weekend. Uh, and see where it is. I mean, I, I know a lot of people talk about trap games. Penn State's got that big Ohio State game coming, I believe, in two weeks. Uh, so I, as much as people say, no, they look at it one week at a time. I think they're already getting excited, right? They just found out this week that they're number four in the college football rankings, right? They're, they're starting to think about playoffs as much as they'd like to avoid all of that. It's almost impossible nowadays with the so- social media and just getting updates all the time. I think it's in the back of their heads. I think Minnesota is going to come in focus. I think they got a good shot at uh, pulling out the upset completely. If not, it's going to be tight. I like the points. And, and the other thing that's interesting, um, Fox really started this moving their their big game of, of the weekends to that noon slate, which in a lot of cases means an 11 a.m. local time, as it does here. This, this game's actually on ABC, kind of mimicking that. Um, just from a gambler's perspective, does that ever come into play for you when you look at, you know, it's a home team playing at 11 o'clock in the morning, waking up in your own bed, being familiar with everything you need to get done, uh, whether it's, you know, the locker room, the walkthroughs, everything. Do you think home field advantage is amplified with an early kickoff? Or do you think it would be better if, you know, those Minnesota fans could be tailgating for five or six hours, you know, really bring the energy and uh, the drunken revelry to the uh, the student section? What are your thoughts there? I'd like to reference to the student section. I, I do think that plays a huge role in, in college football in general, and, and, I, and I love to be a part of that as often as I can. Uh, but at, when we're talking about one uh, time zone difference, I don't think that's going to play an <clears throat> as much role, right? If we were talking about a West Coast team going out to the East Coast or vice versa, it that may start to come into play, especially if you're talking about the early morning hours. But I think these programs, uh, they take all this into account, right? They're going to travel appropriately, make sure that people are as comfortable as possible. And this late in the season, I don't think it's going to play that big of a factor. Uh, to your point, I, I think if uh, the – I should say, I think the student section is just going to adjust accordingly as well, right? If it's 11 o'clock start, they'll still be out there plenty of hours ahead of time to take care of business and represent that school as they need to. All right, we're going to wrap it up here with uh, the game of the century, the one that the SEC's hung its hat on, you know, for better or worse over the last decade. You know, they've hyped up plenty of these LSU-Alabama games where LSU has just been boat raced or just shut down completely offensively. We won't, you know, beat a dead horse. This is a new LSU. It's a new offense. Joe Burrow is fully in command. He has an opportunity to really seize control of the Heisman Trophy race on top of being able to essentially lock up a, a college football playoff bid with this win. But I'm going to say this real quick, and, and I'd like to give you some room to, to kind of explore in terms of your thoughts on this game. Can you name for me the last time Alabama lost a home game to a team that did not have a dual threat quarterback? 
I'm going to throw that question out for you first. Let's see if you can if you can get the right answer. That put me on the spot here. Non-dual threat. So that throws out Johnny Manziel. Throws out Johnny Manziel. That's correct. I, I'm going to go back to like the 03, 04. I feel like it's been forever since that's happened. The last time it happened was the last game of the century, number one versus number two, LSU against Alabama in 2011, that 9-6 to slobber knocker of a game that went to overtime. Alabama missed, you know, a handful of kicks. It was super ugly. There was different quarterbacks uh, being played on both sides. That was the last time it happened. So we're talking eight years of home field dominance, as long as there isn't that special kind of playmaker uh, at the quarterback position. And as much as I like Joe Burrow, I just think because he's not much of a running threat, that doesn't mean, you know, he can't extend plays from time to time and, you know, a few QB draws, but they're certainly not going to be banking on him improvising and making huge plays outside the pocket. When Saban knows where the quarterback's going to be, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt in this one. And for whatever reason, you know, I, I would say mainly from attrition and a little bit from injuries earlier in the season. I think people are sleeping a little bit on this Alabama defense and with an extra week to, to, you know, uh, prepare. I, I understand that LSU also had the bye week. I just think that coach O as great a motivator he is and Dave Aranda is fantastic. I'm going to go ahead and say it's more valuable to a guy like Nick Saban who now has, you know, in, from an intellectual perspective, something more exciting to try to stop because he's, you know, he's been able to figure out a, a very boring and stale LSU offense for years, but now he had, you know, essentially eight games to go ahead and look at what LSU was doing offensively. The challenge is there. I think it's a perfect opportunity for him to motivate his team, um, even though they are a favorite. They're behind LSU in terms of the rankings, um, both in the AP as well as the college football playoffs. So this all, to me, smells like an Alabama win. And I'm going to go ahead and take the money line, you know, the opposite of my other bet uh, in the Minnesota Penn State game. Going to lay that minus 250, 275. I'm fine with that. My only concern, obviously, is to a tongue of Aloha. Um, is he going to be healthy? I'm going to go ahead and say yes. Um, but what are your thoughts on this game? Where are you, you know, emotionally headed into this before you even start to look at the stats? Yeah, so so Mike, this, despite what a great job my mom did raising me, I have no problem being invited to someone's house putting my feet on their coffee table and telling them they're wrong. Right. All right. All right. Lay it out. Here's how I see it. Right. Alabama is usually protected by an amazing defense. And when you look at this uh, Alabama's defense, they're struggling with injuries. You, You may look at the scores and think, what are you talking about? You may look at the last four games ago. They've had a defensive or special teams block punt touchdown in the last four games and that's actually the point i want to raise is they've been bailed out by four very special defensive plays in their last four games that skewed what the final scores were of those games minus the arkansas right arkansas they absolutely dominated held them to seven points throw that one out but there's other three games if you take away that one play and look at tennessee for instance right tennessee they were on the goal line, about to make it a one-score game, I believe in the fourth quarter, when Alabama was able to score a 100-yard fumble recovery touchdown to then make it look like it's a three-score difference, right? So that 14-point swing right there. And looking at this LSU offense, it's going to be the best one they see. So unless they get lucky and that 
defense comes up big once again for the fifth week in a row, I'm not seeing Alabama pull this one off. Right? I think LSU's offense is going to be able to score enough points to keep it close late in the fourth quarter. And without a big play by the defense, I think the LSU team is going to uh, take a late lead, make a play, and do that. Right. So the, the comment you made earlier about Tua, without knowing how well he plays, right? Because their only chance is their offense just running away with it. They got a lot of great wide receivers, they got powerful offense. If Tua is at the 80, 90%, they may still be able to pull it off, but what I so for that unknown, I'll take the plus six and a half with LSU uh, all day to the bank and see where we are come uh, three thirty Saturday. Well, I'm going to say one last uh, kind of point, and it does pay me because this LSU team is just so much more fun this season. I kind of just from you know. A, the idea of a little bit more parity and kind of opening the opportunities for different teams to play in the playoff. I love what they're doing. And I, I would really very much enjoy seeing them, whether they play in the Fiesta bowl or the peach bowl, um, you know, come late December, but that, that Auburn game, I think was a little bit eye opening for me. They won in a different way, which a lot of people could view that as a positive. They won 23, 20 um, at home, but I think it did speak to, you know, what it takes to kind of slow their offense down. I don't think there's going to be an opportunity for Alabama to really put the clamps on them and hold them under 20 points. But I also don't think this is going to necessitate high 30s, low 40s for Alabama to win this game. Uh, I really think if they can get to 35 points, it's going to be enough. Um, the, the other element of it, to, to be totally frank, is that I just think there's still – despite that early win against Texas that, you know, the win against Florida, the win against Auburn, those are all really nice wins and they are all momentum building, but this is Alabama who's eating their fucking lunch and then taking their lunch money and then kick them out of flight of stairs for, for a really long time. And And these, these players, you know, Joe Burrow included, they're all part of that ass kicking over the years. And I think when you mix that in with an Alabama team that is hungry and that is going to be properly motivated and can kind of look at this as an opportunity for their defense to step up and prove themselves, which has not necessarily been the case under Saban. It's, it's gone the other way for so many years. I, I just love the little psychological pluses in his column. So we disagree there. As you said eloquently, we're going to find out who was right uh, by the, you know, the Saturday evening. So I think it's going to be interesting to look at that. Uh, Kev, thank you so much for joining the the podcast this week, filling in um, not quite as many F-bombs. Uh, definitely took the under on the F-bomb. So I appreciate you cashing that ticket for me. Uh, not quite as saucy as Ryan Camp, who uh, apparently doesn't want to show his face now that he's not Mr. 3-0, not Mr. 10-1-1. Uh, um, but, you know, that's fine. You know, we're going to give him a pass. He was carrying the podcast there for a while. Who we're not going to give a pass to is Matt Mitchell because uh, I've gone ahead and edited the podcast myself this week. No big deal. Um, I'm sure the audio quality is not going to be quite up to snuff, but certainly better than the Wisconsin episode where it sounded like I was in a fucking wind tunnel. Um, so, yeah, just uh, just be happy that uh, I put in the extra effort. Got the podcast together. Got Kevin Umile, you know, dressed him up, you know, threw him out there with a starting lineup. Seems like you did a pretty good job. Any closing thoughts here before uh, we sign off, Kev? Yeah, I don't want to know how many other guest hosts you had to reach out to before you got to me, but I'm sure the list is long and distinguished. That's all I'll say. Well, my Armenian uh, neighbor, Tony, um, he 
he said he would do it, but the only credentials that he has is that he named his dog Sparky. So I just assumed he was a big Herm Edwards and Arizona State fan. And then he just looked at me for a really long time and then nodded and then slowly walked away. So, I mean, that was kind of an indicator for me that he probably wasn't the right guy for the job. But, hey, listen, you know, not everybody can have that je ne sais quoi of an Eastern European man who clearly has been beefing with his wife. This guy, I, I just need to throw this out there. This is kind of interesting to me. He's married and he has kids and he has a wife, but he is outside of his house more than anyone I've ever seen. You would think that he was like really into landscaping or something or painting his house, but he's just like kind of mills around his yard a lot. So my wife and I do talk uh, ad nauseum about the fact that he never wants to go inside. He's kind of like, you know, the kid who never wants to go home. I don't know if uh, he's, you know, getting his ass beat by his wife or what, but he's just basically hanging out. He's always that neighborhood guy. So you know, next time I'm going to have to go to Tony, I'll, I'll bring the laptop out into the driveway. We can uh, lay down some tracks. All right. For Kevin Umal, I'm Mike Calabrese. This has been Shooting the Breeze. If you'd like to reach out to us, you know, maybe throw me your demo tape as Kevin did. See if uh, you're ready for the big time. Uh, happy to listen to that. You can send it over shootingthebreeze at gmail.com, as well as hitting us up uh, with some comments over at my Twitter account at East at East Breeze, B-R-E-E-S-E. Uh, you can find us at SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Anywhere fine podcasts are sold. So this is it. We survived the Skip It Saturday of last week. Uh, you got to see an all-timer bad beat in that Memphis SMU game. And we made it to uh, Separation Saturday. Two no teams playing for the first time in the AP poll ever. Unbelievable. They've been doing that since uh, the 1930s. So really two incredible games. Hopefully they live up to the billing. Kev, thank you so much. And everybody, have a great weekend. Thanks for having me, Mike. For the win. He got it! And the Gophers have beaten the number two team in the country!